0: And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Sam Vokes to my Danny Ings. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's just over a week until the start of the new season. That means there's a week of us predicting how the whole championship season is going to pan out in just a few episodes. It's, it really is a good time of year. It's, it's
1: it's exciting, but I don't know why. I think it's mainly because it's the build-up, isn't it? It's the build-up to, to the league action. This is, this is a bit like Christmas Eve, but for Championship football. You know what's coming. You know Santa's on his way. You know you're going to get a hefty Christmas dinner at the end of the week. This is basically it. This is predictions. Prediction season is
0: upon us. F Christmas. This is the time of the year. It's the Championship version of Christmas. You've got Neil Warnock on his sleigh, coming down the chimney and saying, Oh, you've been a good boy this year, and then he'll give you a present in the form of some predictions, which is exactly what we're doing right here. And it's about stepping into the unknown, Justin. I mean, how are we meant to predict how everything is gonna pan out? It's completely impossible, but it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? And that's the that's the that's the best bit about it. It is just purely about the unknown.
1: It's the unknown, and it's not It's not
0: fun for everyone. People take it very
1: seriously, Ryan, and we know that. We know this. They take it very, very seriously. But it is just a bit of fun because we're not Mystic Megs. We can't predict the future. If we
0: could, we wouldn't be doing a podcast. We'd be incredibly wealthy individuals. Hey, Justin, well, maybe, speak, for we'll speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. I purposely get some wrong because I am Mystic Meg. <laughs> I, so I could I. predict everything right. <laughs> I just prefer to try and get some wrong to throw people off the scent, you see. So... Um, let's dive into it shall we welcome to the number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are and welcome to our pre-season predictions if you've come here expecting to hear who we think is getting promoted or relegated from the championship next season you've got to wait a bit longer for that all will be revealed with that in our league table predictions which start on sunday more about that at the end of the episode however in this show we're still very much putting our necks on the line we'll be predicting who will win Things like top goal scorer, player of the season, young player of the season, as well as other things such as which team will be dark horse, who will be the big underachievers of the season, and which manager will be sacked first. So, may as well dive in, Justin, with top goal scorer. Here's a few facts for you, Justin. I know you love a good fact, don't you? Um, Rackpom was the first player to finish as top goal scorer but not get promoted. Since 2018, the previous four were playing for teams that got promoted. You might be listening and thinking, well, that's not much of a surprise. Usually, top top goal scorer correlates with a team getting promoted but only one of the previous five prior to that weren't playing for teams who got promoted so it's only become a bit of a regular thing in recent years only four from the last 11 top goal scorers were playing for the team who scored the most goals which i think is quite interesting only three of the last 10 top scorers were english they were tube rack ivan tony and who just impeach pretty sharp andy andre gray Um <laughs> Close enough. 3-10 um, and ten seems ridiculously low, doesn't it, over the last 10, or it might be eight, 11 seasons, actually. But still, that, that seems a bit mad. Only three players have been top goalscorer more than once. Those are Alexander Mitrovic, Timmy Pukki and who, Justin Peach? <laughs> Billy Sharp. Sylvain Eibanks, Blake. Close <laughs> again. I don't think Billy Sharp has actually been top no. goalscorer, which seems a bit mad. Um And, of course, no one has been top scorer on more than two occasions. Um, Justin, I don't know about you, I find it quite difficult to predict a top goal scorer this season.
1: I I don't think there's going to be a player who scores more than 23 this season. It's a bit of a strange one. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one, I think. There's just not a standout player. You look at the teams coming down from the Premier League... Southampton's forwards are misfiring. Leicester have got a 36-year-old, Jamie Vardy and Patson Dacker, who has yet to set the world alight for them. And then Leeds are coming down with, well, Patrick Bamford, who we know has a very good habit of of not putting away those, those chances and his fitness record isn't great either. So there's those teams coming down with, with the wealth of talent and it's not really anyone sticking out. And then in the Championship, I think we've had You know, the the top strikers leave recently or get promoted. So I think it leaves it really open, but really open to not an average field, but a very competitive field. So for me, I don't think there's going to be a player who gets near 25 this season.
0: With that being said, who have you gone for, Justin Peach, as your top goal scorer for the new season?
1: I've gone with Ross Stewart of Sunderland. Now, picture this, and it's a question that's worth posing. If Ross Stewart stays fit for this season, does he be... Trooper Akpom to the golden boot last season? That's a question.
0: Do you um,
1: reckon? I think possibly would have. It's, 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 it's a competitive one. It's certainly a competitive one. I think I'd think i say more likely
0: still, than not, personally. Yeah,
1: I, I still think, uh, well, Akpom was still uh, had a better conversion rate, but he only played 13 games last season, but he scored 11 goals in that time, and I think that's an incredible record. I think it's also incredible because he was prolific before his injury, uh, before his first injury and prolific before his second injury as well, so give me a fit Ross Stewart for a full season. I think he scores at least twenty five. Maybe not this season because I just claimed that I don't think there'll be a player that gets near twenty five. But you see the point. I think there is going to be. I think he's going to be the man this season. He's going to lead the charts as long as he stays fit. And then you throw in the ammunition that he's going to get from the likes of Jack Clark, Alex Pritchard, Patrick Roberts, amongst others, among others. he's going to be. It's going to be unstoppable. We've seen how clinical he can be last season. And I know he's out of contract. So if, even if he does move to a big spending championship club, I think he will still score goals. It's as simple as that. He's a, he's a goal scorer at this level. And as I mentioned, with Akpom having a better conversion rate, there's only two players ahead of him last season in terms of goal conversion. It was Nathan Tenner, Nathan Teller, and Chabrak Pom. So he was the third most prolific or most prolific forward, most likely to put the chances away last season. So for me, Ross Stewart, it was a difficult one. There was a lot of choices, but Ross Stewart for me was a standout.
0: Yeah, I suppose you've got the fullback option there that even if he does leave Sunderland, it's very likely he will still be in the Championship next season, possibly at a newly relegated side because they have been linked with a move for him. So... It wouldn't surprise me if he's right up there. I just could not pick him based off his fitness record. That was the big holdback for me because I did want to choose him, but I was just looking at it and thinking it's a bit of a risk. Plus, I think he's going to miss the start of the season as well. So you've got a few factors to take in there regarding mainly his fitness. Um, For me, I was looking at the past top goal scorers and this sounds so obvious to say out loud, but supply is crucial. It's Just as important as actual finishing ability, perhaps even more so. So you have to take that into account when choosing. And that's why I've gone for Nathan Teller at Southampton. Nathan Teller was excellent last season, surpassed all expectations at Burnley, finished as top goalscorer for the team who finished top of the championship. And they were, in my eyes, the best team we've ever seen at this level. And he was arguably the star of that side going forwards It's no wonder Southampton have fought two for Nell to keep him at the club. It's a big show of ambition as well, because they could have took the money and run, but they didn't. 17 goals last season is a ridiculous tally for a guy who had only scored twice in his career previously. But the data behind it shows it was by no means a fluke. 17 goals from an XG of just over 10. Out of all the players who played at least half of their team's minutes last season, Tew is the only player who had a better shot conversion rate. Finishing numbers, just incredible. He was just so clinical and there's no reason why we can't see it again this season. The big thing for me with regards to picking him, though, is the supply he's going to get. No player created more chances in the Championship last season than the new signing, Ryan Manning. Southampton are spoiled for options at right back, no matter who stays or goes. He could potentially have James Ward Prowse, Carlos Alcaraz, Will Smallbone in midfields being another supply line for him. Also, Swansea had the highest expected goals from open play for any team outside of the top six last season. and. Russell Martin, of course, the manager at Swansea, now at Southampton, he's got even better players at his disposal now. So Teller should get chances galore. So loads of chances, top quality finisher, he could score loads. It's
1: it's quite a show of faith from you to pick out a player for top goal scorer. This is a big accolade, top goal scorer, uh, uh, you know, a player who's only well, only done it once in his career, essentially. I think my only thinking is 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 maybe that he just goes back to. To being, the, not the Nathan Teller of old, but did he just have a golden patch of form last season? And now he was incredibly clinical, I'll give you that. And his movement was exceptional. And he's going to get a lot of those similar scenarios where the ball's being flashed across the box. And he's got to be joining on the spot. He's got to be in the right place at the right time. And he showed at Burnley last season that he can do it. So I guess, yeah, it is, it is quite a shout. I maybe would have gone with more experience. But as I say, Pickens was relatively low this season.
0: I, th- I think if, you, if you're looking at it from an experienced perspective, then I think Teller showed more than enough last season to to show that he is a clinical goal scorer. And I'll accept that he's not a striker, but that's not really a thing anymore. Wingers, we see it in the Premier League season upon season, don't we? Wingers now inside forwards, wherever you want to call them, are scoring goals for fun. And I think Teller is just another one of those really. Um, We've as well as top goal scorer, Justin, we've also done a dark horse for top goal scorer. I'm interested to see who you've gone with here.
1: I've gone with Tyrese Campbell of Stoke. Uh, checking the odds, I think it was 100 to 1 or something. A pretty decent pretty decent uh, odd. And as I say, I think that the reason why it was so low is because it's, it's it's such a wide selection of players available uh this, this season. No real stand out uh, standout players either. Uh, but I, I do feel if paired with the right player, he can really cause some damage when he hit form pre his meniscus injury. I'll get that one right now, his ACL, his meniscus. Uh, he was playing in a, flu, a fluid front three under Michael O'Neill alongside Stephen Fletcher, Jacob Brown, Nick Powell. So I, I, I do think if he can be a part of a similar system, uh, he can really he can really do some damage. Do I think he'll score 20-plus this season? I, I don't think so. But he's certainly worth a shout. He's certainly worth a shout because I think if Alex Neal gets him into those positions, the goal-scoring positions, in and around the box, he's he's comfortable with the ball at his feet. He's very, very clinical, or can be very clinical, very composed as well, technically gifted, then he can do some damage. And then adding the fact that they've got um, Hoyver and Josh time on either flank at wing-back, there's going to be plenty of supply in wide areas. So get it get it right in the middle, in in the middle of the pitch. I think Campbell can do some damage next season.
0: Tyrese Campbell's one of those who on his day is one of the best strikers in the division in It's just about making that on his day a regular thing. It's just not happened for him ever since he had that injury. So I'd still be a bit sceptical about that personally, but I think he's definitely worth a shout because the potential is definitely there. Speaking of which, I've gone with Liam DeLap at Hull. Now, I imagine Stoke and Preston fans are probably hearing this prediction and shouting at the speaker right now something along the lines of, he's fucking shit. And you know what? I wouldn't blame them for saying that after last season, because for both of them, he was. And we've been hearing so much about how exciting a striker this young lad was. And he massively underwhelmed last season for two different sides. So why is it going to be different at Hull? Well, Again, I think the service will be there for him. I'm looking at the wing-backs there. Cyrus Christie on the right, new signing Ruben Vinagra on the left. I'm not sure there'll be many wing-back pairings better than that this season. I'm a really big fan of the Vinagra signing in particular. Both love to get forward. We'll be doing what they can to put chances on a plate for the forwards. And... Liam Rosinia has also been massively bigging him up since he signed. He's been saying he's got freak speed and completely fits the way he wants to play with being able to run in behind. The big issue is his finishing. Four goals last season from an extra of around eight. It's not good reading. However, Rosinia has been saying he is a great finisher. And even Pep Guardiola said similar. He said he's a killer, a typical British striker, an incredible finisher. I mean, this is the greatest possibly the greatest manager football has ever seen. And I don't think he'd be saying that if he wasn't a good finisher, if he was, uh, I don't know, Connor Salmon. But (laughs) I I just get, I just get, (laughs) come on now. Um, (laughs) I I just get the sense that everything could just click for Delap this season and he may end up scoring goals for fun. It may be another season where he completely (laughs) underwhelms, but... I, I can't see there being this much hype about him before if he wasn't a very good striker. And confidence is low right now. If he scores two or three goals in the first few games of the season, he could be up and running and scoring for fun. That's the key thing, is, is getting on the score sheet fairly, fairly early. He's
1: still just 20 years old, which means he went out on loan last season when he was 19. It is difficult for forwards, especially when you've been in a very nice, cushy environment. At Manchester City for such a long time, and let's be let's be straight, it is a very nice environment to develop in, and, and you do have to be a special player to to really thrive and then come away. James Mcatee last season struggled at times, not as much as at Sheffield United, not as much as Liam Delap like, but there was there was periods of struggle for him. Uh, so for me, I think Liam Delap just needs a, a good place where he's, he's under a, a, the guidance of a manager who can really allow him to thrive. Thought thought Ryan Lowe would be that man it wasn't the case. But then again Preston didn't create too many chances in the second half of the season. Tom Cannon was was was, was thriving another young player. So yeah, it's 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 certainly worth a shout. There's a lot of qualities there that Liam Delap still hasn't
0: shown and I think he's going to get the platform to do it. Let's move on to player of the season, Justin. More stats for you right here. In the last 18 championship seasons, only five player of the seasons weren't playing for a side which got promoted. That, of course, including last season's Tuba Pom. You have to go all the way back to 2006 to find the last player of the season who wasn't a midfielder or a forward. And that was Justin.
1: Oh, I was going to say Billy Sharp, but it's not a midfielder or a forward. <laughs> Jesus Christ!
0: stop Billy Sharp. No, well, I mean, he's also a midfielder or a forward. Oh, sorry, it was Phil Jagielka for Sheffield United, two thousand and six. So it was a long, long time ago. It doesn't really happen, does it? Um, who's your player of the season, Justin? I've gone with a midfielder, <laughs>
1: uh, Kenny Hall, uh, of Leicester. Uh, I, 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 I like him so much. I think he's such a brilliant player. You've got to think back to when he was on loan at Luton. How good he was in that in that um, in that loan spell in nine, the season, nineteen twenty season twenty nineteen twenty season, and he was still quite a raw talent then. Or twenty twenty one, I should say. Despite being relegated, Dewsbury Hall statistically still performed incredibly well for Leicester last season. Scored high in carrying the ball, successful dribbles, touches in opposition in the opposition area when compared to other central midfielders. Defensively, he was one of the top performers as well when it came to blocks. So that shows he's capable of pressing opposition into mistakes. That's a really good skill set to have when you've got a manager there who's more than likely in the Championship going to deploy style of play where it's going to press opposition high up, regain the ball, and get back to what they were doing with the ball, essentially. For me, he's got the full package for a central midfielder, especially at Championship level. I think he's going to thrive. He did well in the Premier League. Obviously, could have done better with... with with Leicester, but who didn't perform poorly at Imperials last season in the Championship, he's certainly going to thrive. Accumulated nine goal contributions, as I mentioned, with his spell at Luton, and as that was when he was still a young, raw talent. And given the amount of times he's getting in good areas in and around the box, if he can add that clinical touch, he could easily hit double-figure goals and assists. If if things happen right, yeah, happen well for him, he's going to be playing in a in a style of play as well that's going to create space and openings for players to penetrate opposition, that's going to allow the door to open for, for Dewsbury Hall to get into those areas and really hurt uh, really hurt other teams. So for me, I, I think it's going to be a, a bit of a coming of age year for Dewsbury Hall where we start to see him elevate his profile because I think he's gone on the radar quite considerably over the last couple of years. Been a key performer for Leicester and quite quite rightly in the shadow of some of those key players like Harvey Barnes and James Madison who have really performed statistically well in terms of goals and assists. But for me, Dewsbury Hall is going to be the key man there for Leicester next season and Hopefully, they're the best player in the
0: league. Interesting pick, Justin. I've gone for and Dewsbury Hall. <laughs> um, look, Leicester have plenty of players who shouldn't be in the Championship next season and and Dewsbury Hall is top of that list for me. He simply is a Premier League player, a mid-table Premier League player, actually. Only three players featured in more games for Leicester last season. His chances created per 90 was essentially the same as James Madison and we all know how good a player he is and where he is now he was one of the highest ranking midfielders in the Premier League for progressive carriers per 90 I just find it astonishing that there wasn't more interest in him you've got a player who's just about to enter his peak years why wouldn't you get him in Leicester will be laughing that they've got him though and he will be unbelievable this season I can just guarantee it now he will simply be coming up against opposition players who are not as good as him on a weekly basis The problem is for that opposition, they've also got plenty of other players to worry about as well because, as I say, Leicester have plenty of players who are above championship level. So I'm hoping we'll see him do a lot more in terms of goals and assists next season. It's only three goals and four assists over the last two seasons, but that wasn't his job before. He was just kind of part of the system now he will be given the ball and be expected to do something so that's why I'm so hot on and Dewsbury Hall being player of the season next season and just being possibly one of the best players we've ever seen at this level because he's just so good Uh, with that being said let's move on to young player of the season Justin I can't remember who you've had here I think I changed it last
1: minute, so this might come mm. as a surprise. Oh, not last minute, I may have sent it to you, I don't know, we, we don't organise ourselves. Ha! Um, <laughs> I've gone from been organised. <laughs> Whenever when we've been organised. I've picked out Callum Doyle. Now you might think, oh, Leicester players, Leicester players. I, I think I would have picked out Callum Doyle whether he was playing for Leicester or Birmingham or Leeds or anybody else in the Championship because Callum Doyle's ascendancy in this league is just going from strength to strength to strength. He made 39 starts last season for Coventry City, 41 appearances over over overall for a team that finished in the top six and did incredibly well defensively. I think they kept the most amount of clean sheets in the league, which I tend to prefer to rank, uh, sorry, rate a, a defence on as opposed to a goalkeeper. Um, I think it's more important for defences to keep clean sheets than maybe goalkeepers because it shows that they're keeping opposition out. And with that in mind, Coventry relied heavily on being solid defensively clean sheets emphasised that There wasn't really an emphasis on playing out from the back but that I think that allowed his defensive qualities to really shine so he, not only is he a solid defender but he's also a capable ball playing defender and that really wasn't an issue he completed 84% of his short passes which seems a pointless stat but when he's going to be playing in an Enzo Maresca system where there's going to be a high demand on playing it out from the back you've got a player there who's comfortable, smart, uh, comfortable and smart with the ball at his feet and so those numbers are just going to increase. He's a really exciting young player. He's gone from strength to strength. Maresca's probably had some involvement with him because Maresca's was obviously in charge of the development squad at one point in Manchester City. So there's going to be a a familiarity with both both player and manager there. And as I say, I think I'd have picked Callum Doyle for no matter what team he was playing for this season. He's got such a high, high ceiling. And I, and I really do think he's going to be a key performer for Leicester. Comfortable player, solid defensively. He's got the full package and he's just 19.
0: Yeah, I'm a huge Callum Doyle fan. I would have picked him myself, but I have kind of stayed away from that because he's a defender and defenders don't tend to win young player of the season or any type of awards, <laughs> yeah. really. So while I do rate him extremely highly, I think he's getting towards the stage where I may be predicting him to play for England just because of what he's achieved and how much he's done so far, despite still being a teenager. Um, I've stayed cleared of him and gone for someone who's a bit of a wild card, Justin. I've gone for Amari Hutchinson of Ipswich Mm. Town. I am incredibly excited to watch this lad next season. He's one of those young players who you hear so much about. And now we get to see what he can actually do at a senior level. Extremely highly rated at Chelsea. Was also very highly thought of at Arsenal and was training with the first team regularly before Chelsea snatched him away. Arsenal didn't want to lose him, but... Hutchinson made that move happen so understandably there was a lot of interest from across the championship in getting him in on loan and he's chosen Ipswich Town and I think it's a very exciting pairing. Ipswich are a club massively on the up with an incredibly talented manager who knows how to take a youngster's game to the next level. Ipswich also needed a bit more oomph in their attack and he can be just that so it's a move which can be perfect for Hutchinson and also Ipswich. And I can see him having a similar impact to what Ahmad Diallo had at Sunderland last season. Someone who you heard loads of great things about, hadn't really seen it in, you know, first-team football. He just needed the platform to show it. He's got lots of flair, running at defenders, an incredibly exciting player who I can guarantee will get Ipswich fans out of their seat next season. So it's time for us to see what all the hype is about. I can't say I I know too much about Hutchinson other than there's a lot of hype around him, which is obviously always a
1: good thing um, I know he was he, did he have a move it lined up in January but it fell through I West can't remember Brom. who it was West Brom right there we go I mean he, he would have you know, been a, a massive asset for, for West Brom given their lack of imagination at times towards the end of the season in in the final third but there's a player there who I don't think there's a similar profile of player at, at its, which at the moment who's comfortable with the ball at his feet can take players on and get into one-on-one situations and create opportunities off a spark so he's going to be a real big asset and then you've got Kieran McKenna there who has progressed the, some, you know, the likes of Luke Wolfenden, and Leif Davis those, those fringe players young players who needed developing he's guided them into you know, really really good positions essentially so there, I think Hutchinson under the, under the right manager I think that's a key thing is, is McKenna and Hutchinson is going to work very well together McKenna's got previous of developing youngsters it's a good place to be so yeah quite excited intrigued to see how this one worked out, works out
0: I expect Chelsea have probably looked at that as well and thought, that's a club who we want our players to be going to because of the manager, because of how well they're doing at the moment. Um, It's just a good place to be, isn't it? So it, it seems like, as I say, a perfect pairing for both parties. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about first manager to leave or be sacked, as well as Dark Horse and biggest underachiever. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. This is us making our pre-season predictions for the new championship season. And now we're on to first manager to leave or be sacked. Who's going to win the sack race, Justin? I Sack race or leave race?
1: I think it's going to be Ithko uh, Munoz. Now, a lot of Wednesday fans will be thinking, anti-Wednesday, anti-Wednesday. But there's a lot of expectation, I think, from the ownership, Transiri... Compared compared to that, to the realism of what is the current situation at Wednesday at the moment, the squad I don't think is capable of staying in a division. The squad is also set up for a Darren Moore system. There's a lot of ageing players in this squad. There's a lot of, uh, oh, there's a lack of depth. There's just a lot of problems that Munoz is dealing with at the moment that he's, I think he's going to fall victim to. Now it just depends if Transir is the first to pull the trigger on allowing him to leave or Munoz leaving compared to, that, to other managers. Darren Moore. Covered a lot of cracks at Wednesday. And I think Munoz has come in and he's going to experience them. And fall victim to those cracks, essentially, essentially that. If there's more structure behind the scenes, I think there's a potential there for Munoz to thrive. But there just isn't. That his last two jobs in England have been at two relatively dysfunctional clubs where the hierarchy is just too too involved. So I don't think we're really going to see what Munoz is about. So I just don't think there's any possibility to do so. And as well as that, this feels a lot like Wednesday from the season they went down in, in 2020, 2021, where they went through Monk, Gary Monk, Tony Pulis, and then Darren Moore, mixed with the extensively long period of having Neil Thompson in caretaker charge as well. It just doesn't feel like a smooth football club. That's what well, a smoothly run football club. And that's the key thing for this scenario. You've got managers under pressure who uh are easy picks, and then you've got uh, teams or clubs that aren't run as well as they could be. And
0: I think Munoz falls into that latter category. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you on that, Justin. I think there's quite a few options who you could choose for this. So it was really difficult to actually nail down (laughs) the first manager to go because there's quite a few managers who start the season under pressure. One of them is certainly Gareth Ainsworth. QPR have won just three games from his 13 in charge. They were playing terribly And nearly got relegated on his watch when they weren't in huge danger when he came in. I think he saved his own job with a couple of wins towards the end of the season. The fans are definitely split over him. Some want to give him a chance. Others think they should have got rid. Well, they had the chance in the summer. Won't take much for things to go really sour there really quickly. Because so far, QPR fans haven't really seen the good side of Gareth Ainsworth and QPR, I suppose. The other thing to add is this, and this is a really, really important point for the category that we're talking about. QPR's opening 10 games are really tough. They've only got one home game in their first five for some reason. I, I'm not sure why, um, but th- that that was, a, that was interesting. And in those 10 games, they've got to face two relegated sides, three teams who finished in the playoffs last season, an Ipswich side who many are tipping to go well, and a Birmingham side who have signed extremely well so it looks like there's a good chance he could be shown the door in the first 10 games unless he pulls some proper rabbits out the hat with some of the uh, games he's got coming up if not I'll be amazed he get, if he gets to Christmas just because I think there's so much pressure on him already so many fans are completely unconvinced and QPR may be struggling by that time as well that rabbit could well be Hacker Man you never know yeah you never get know. him in get him in okay. at the back
1: <laughs> oh god I think The only point I'll make on this is the only reason why I've veered away from Gareth Ainsworth is because he's being allowed to shape the squad in his philosophy and style, which is concerning. Which is concerning, but it, it, it gives me the idea that maybe the ownership's really committed to making this one work. But you mentioned those 10 games there, and if he's not won the first six, for example, then yeah, he's, he's going to be all, all uh, under all heaps of pressure. Where I don't even think
0: Hackerman could save them, so no, yeah, not, not not ideal. <laughs> get Hackerman Man in for the rest of the season uh, let's go on to kind of our team um, predictions Justin including Dark Horse and Biggest Underachiever we'll start off with Dark Horse Justin who have you gone for?
1: I've gone with Hull and now I, I think Hull are going to have an extremely good season or a really boring one which doesn't seem like amazing insight because there's, there's, one, of, there's one or the other isn't it um, but I think Hull are either going to have a season similar to last one uh, last season or really put themselves in promotion cont- contention I can't rule them out pushing for the top six. I like Rossini. There's a lot of potential there for him, and there are obvious issues that need to be overcome. And I think if they can be overcome, it could be an exciting season. If not, it could be a very normal and boring season. Maybe they finish between 16th and 13th, for example. But 60 v's in 28 tells you that Liam Rossini had a very solid start. He won 38 points from the point he took over at the end of uh, from the point he took over to the end of last season. Which would have seen Hall finish tenth, but a considerable amount of points off behind the top six. And there's a lot of things cooking there. You've already mentioned Ruben Vinagra and Cyrus Christie. The creative uh, prospects there from from wide areas is, is exceptional. And then the presence of Liam Delap could could really help Hall become a different beast in the final third because he did struggle, and that's one of the issues that that Rossini needs to needs to sort out. So I'm. Excited but apprehensive of Hull but I would put them in this dark course category where they, I think they could they could potentially push for the top six
0: Worth mentioning as well when Rosinia came in Hull were just completely transformed weren't they I think they finished 10th yeah. in the championship table from the stage that he came in defensively completely a different side went from having the worst defensive record in the league to the fourth best which is Quite the turnaround. It's just about scoring goals up the other end as well. So um, the uh, the additions of Delap, Vinagre, as well, should hopefully help with that. And it wouldn't surprise me if they bring in a few more players before the window closes as well. I've gone for Coventry. ...as my dark horse for the season. Now, it seems a bit strange having the team who got to the playoff final as a dark horse. But if you look at the bookies, they have cover around mid-table. So it seems like I'm justified in picking them. As well, I think many people expected Coventry to have a drop-off season... ...after losing in the playoff final. I mean, I was one of them after the playoff final, I will admit that. But Coventry's ambition this summer has been extremely impressive. They forked out for the likes of Ellis Sims and Bobby Thomas... Says to me that they want to make sure last season wasn't a fluke and they want to build upon it. And they're looking strong again, despite a bit of churn in the squad. Obviously, Victor Jokeres is gone, but Ellis Sims is an excellent replacement. Gustavo Hamer may still leave, which would be a blow, but we'll wait and see on that. I was a a bit concerned about the back line at one point, but... Jade Silvers Silva's come in at left wing back. Bobby Thomas, I think, is a great addition at centre-half. Had an excellent season with Barnsley. Really impressed me there. Joel Lassabodier comes in on a free as well. I can see that being a very smart signing. Elsewhere, Japanese winger Tatsuhiro Sakamoto has come in. He's one to watch. And Calum O'Hare will be back at some point as well, which will be a huge boost because they sorely missed him in the second half of last season. So... The squad's strong and they want to continue their impressive rise from League Two, which they've improved upon season upon season. That is a factor for me. I like it when a club has that continuous rise. It always indicates a club is well run in most cases anyway. In Coventry's case, they're also extremely well managed with Mark Robbins at the helm. There aren't many managers in the country doing better in their current job than him. So there's a lot of boxes ticked there for me with Coventry City and If anyone is expecting them to drop off this season, I think they may be surprised. I'd have just
1: thrown them in a category of being one of those teams who are going to compete for the top six. So it would have been difficult for me to justify them being a dark horse. But obviously, if you're basing it off the bookie dots, and I've seen quite a lot of predicted tables as well already who have put Cov in around mid table. So there's a lot there underestimating the potential impact of the likes of Alice Sims. There is quite a high squad turnover. Obviously, there's not a lot of players that need replacing, but you've got to back the recruitment team given the quality that they've that they've uh, succeeded in bringing in in, in in the past, and and, and Mark Robbins able to get in a bend out of them. So, yeah, certainly, certainly, I think Dark Horse is probably a a, a decent character because it's still going to have one of the lowest budgets in the league. Probably not bottom four budget, but certainly bottom eight. You'd, you'd expect because again, they're not gonna they're not gonna throw money at it. I know they've spent money already, but they're not gonna throw heaps of it at uh, a place so yeah no, not, not a bad pick but again Mark Robbins can you consider him a dark horse I don't think so
0: well it, dark horse is a very subjective kind of thing yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It, it depends about how you interpret them already but as you say I, I've looked at plenty of lead table predictions as well I don't think I've seen anyone yet have Coventry in their top six the bookies certainly don't I think people will be surprised about Coventry once again Um. Let's go to biggest underachiever, Justin. If um, you come for,
1: again, I this was a last minute change. Although you do know about it, uh, Preston. I've gone with Preston. Um, this comes after the they flirted with the playoffs last season. So I think if you've got a team there who were finishing in around the top half, the, the following season they're going to be looking to compete for the playoffs once again. But I don't think that's going to be the case next season. I do rate Ryan Lowe, I, I do rate him quite highly, but I struggle to justify them pushing on into that team of becoming uh, you know, a, top six, a, a bona fide top six challenger. So uh, there's just a lot there that, needs, that Ryan Lowe needs to achieve. Their the business so far is interesting. I like Will Keane, but he's at the wrong end of his career age-wise. I like Calvin Ramsey. But he's he's a young player who's just starting out, a bit like Alvaro Fernandez last season. So there's going to be some teething issues naturally. Mads Jensen is an interesting pickup. He could be the quality they need in the final third. Uh, Leighton Stewart is another one who, again, he's a young player. So there's, there's a real mix of talent there, coupled with a lack of creativity at times in the league last season. Despite Lowe like, wanting to play an attacking style of football, I just don't think things are going to. I just don't think things are going to go as well. As, uh, as as they want it to. Uh, and that being said, this is a really important point. They lack the resource and depth to kick on after what was a fairly successful last season. So I think there's going to be a drop-off these, this season. Might not be a bad thing, but I think that throws them into the category of underachieving. It might be a case of just taking two steps backwards to take three steps forward the following season, where they improve the squad massively this season allow those young players to develop and then kick on the following season which is not what Preston fans want to hear but
0: for me just can't can't see them being anywhere near the top half this season I'm Not sure I agree with that one Justin We'll save that for the league table predictions <laughs> next week My biggest underachiever and again this is very subjective I've gone with what the bookies are doing it and so I was amazed to look at the bookies odds and see only four teams ahead of Norwich City in the Uh, odds for winning the title I just cannot buy that at all Norwich are a club who don't really seem to know who they are right now it feels like this is very much a transition season they've got the sporting director who's leaving but seeing out his notice period and still overseeing recruitment and the players they brought in seems a bit all over the place Ashley Barnes Shane Duffy Jack Stacey not players you'd usually see Norwich bring in over the past five years. And then you've got the signings of Boy Sainz and Christian Fasnacht. Which is what Norwich would have done over the past five years. The squad itself is very patchy. Gabriel Savas a magnificent player in midfield. I also rate Marcelino Nunes. But then I'm looking at that front line. Not sure where the goals are going to come from. I think there's a lot of pressure on Josh Sargent in particular to score the goals. And he was very quiet from kind of three quarters in the final three quarters of the season Um, and then the defence has already been hit with injury but even then it's not the best the cherry on top of this big yellow and green cake is the manager and I'm not sure how David Wagner's still in charge after the collapse at the end of last season one win from eight he finished the season with a points per game record which was only marginally better than Dean Smith earlier in the season His record at Young Boys and Schalke previously weren't great either, so I find it very difficult to find anything to be excited about with Norwich. The club needed to press the reset button this summer and feels like they're doing it, but it feels like the the finger is still very much on the button at the moment and they're just pressing it very slowly and they're very reluctant to let go of that button.
1: I think they're they're such an interesting case, aren't they, Norwich? I think... They're almost victims of their own previous success because they've done things one way for so long. They've had to rapidly change that, rapidly change change that approach approach, and we don't know what how it's going to pan out. The squad's been built a certain way for previous years. Now they're doing it a new way because they need to, because they need to press the reset reset button. They need to rebuild the the squad and, and the club from the ground up. Not the ground up, but you know what I mean. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. And and, and given that David Wagner flattered to deceive last season and has flattered to deceive since that uh, first season in the Premier League with Huddersfield, there's not a lot of convincing factors in in Norwich's favour. I think the only thing I can say positively about them at the moment is the signings of Ashley Barnes, Shane Duffy, Jack Stacey. Adds some experience into that squad that needed it and a little bit more depth as well, but not particularly inspiring signings that have been successful in the past that being said it might it might cook the the the, the right yellow and green cake that that uh, serves to yeah satisfy quite a few people or it might be gross it might be gross i think you mean
0: bake the right yeah cook bake cake. You, you, well, You're well, cooking a cake then it's uh, i don't think it's going to go too well uh, only thing i'd follow on from what you were saying there just ashley barnes shane duffy a lot of experience certainly past their best and that's why I struggled to get that's too excited fair. about those signings in particular. Let's move on to best performing relegated side, just in quite a high standard of teams coming down from the Premier League this season, isn't there? Who have you gone for?
1: I've gone with Leicester. I like how the squad is evolving. Uh, I think it's still short and with Harvey Barnes being sold as well it does diminish the quality in the final third but there's an extra 40 million pounds in the bank. There's room to recruit and, and and recruit some good players. So as long as you get the players coming in right and you identify the right ones as they have done in the past then there's no there's no issue to 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 be to be worried there. I think the only uh, concerns I have is the uncertainty of Maresca. Uh, I, I reflected this in my managerial list, um, but at the same time, I recognise that he wants to deploy a side of play that is going to be impressive. That is going to be or at least try to be impressive. That is going to win the plaudits, and I think the, the Leicester team is fixed to, to 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 receive that. And I think the reason why I think Leicester are going to be the best-performing relegated team is I think they're in a, a better state than maybe Southampton are, who I think are going to go through the motions in the early periods of Russell Martin's tenure. And they've got some things to sort out in terms of players departing, potentially departing, Ward Prowse, Walker Peters, Shea Adams. And then you've got Leeds there who are weeks behind in terms of recruitment. They've got to play catch-up. So I think um, I think Daniel Farker is going to find it difficult, although I do rate Daniel Farker the highest out of those two managers. I think he's going to have a, a couple of teething issues so for me I think Leicester are, are a better set to to make a, a promotion push at the first time of asking them maybe Southampton and Leeds are at this current moment
0: Yeah in my opinion and I suspect the opinion of many people Leicester are the best side ever to get relegated from the Premier League in terms of quality Despite the departures of some big names, this squad is still very strong and Leicester have much more squad depth than the other relegated sides, which is why I simply think they won't be as badly affected. You've got players there like the likes of Kane and Dewsbury Hall, Wout Feiss, Ricardo Pereira, Timothy Castagna, amongst many others who simply shouldn't be playing championship football. They're Premier League players. Meanwhile, the other two relegated sides, their squads had gotten to the point where many of them were ready to drop down a level. And Leeds in particular are looking, I mean, half their squad's gone out on loan, hasn't it? (laughs) Um, So they've had a bit of an exodus there. Um, And the manager's also a huge positive me. I look at Leeds and I think they've gone for an appointment which isn't very ambitious in my eyes. Southampton have had ambition, but it may take time for them to get fully ticking and then... Yeah, I, I just think that, that it will take a bit of a, a bit of time for Russell Martin to fully get to grips with how he wants this squad to play, and we may not see the best of them until probably about halfway through the season at the very earliest. And then for Leicester and Enzo Maresca, they've got a world class coach who could very well be an excellent manager. They're definitely in the best position out of the three for me in terms of not just the managers but also the squad as a whole as well let's move on to best performing promoted side Justin uh, I think we've both gone for the same one here haven't we
1: it's, it was a pretty easy one it's not a disrespect to the other two teams but for me Ipswich Town are the the best uh, most adaptable looking team than the
0: likes and mm. Plymouth from Sheffield Wednesday yeah, they've got just. Yeah. Justin, Justin uh, let, me, let, let me just stop you there because I don't think there'll be a surprise to anyone no. that we've picked Ipswich I'm not sure when the last time was that expectations were this high for a newly promoted side. Exceptional manager, squad that was way too strong for League One and an ownership that are very ambitious. The boxes are all ticked there, haven't they? We won't go into, into too much detail because we can discuss them more at length in our league table predictions. But expectations are high for Town. You look at the other two. Wednesday have had a fairly disastrous summer Plymouth have had a great summer but I just think Ipswich are a different beast anything you want to add without giving too much away they've got lots of
1: championship experience and that's going to help Walton Morsey, Luongo Evans and then a lot of potential with Kieran McKenna as well that's that's going to be a big thing I think that it's, it was between them and Plymouth wasn't it but they've got more championship experience than, than Plymouth do and McKenna's a more adaptable coach playing wise than, than Schumacher is so they're the other two factors and of course they've got a bigger budget than both Wednesday and, and Plymouth. So
0: it was a pretty easy one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, let's finish off with a bold prediction, Justin. I, I did ask you to make one, but I haven't given too much thought into mine. I, I've got to say, it, 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 what what have you gone for? I, I, I've tried to
1: make a really bold one. So I've gone with Varian Ishmael, last the season at Watford. <laughs> that
0: is Call bold. Call <laughs> me crazy. Call me
1: crazy. I think Watford need to commit to a manager. Recruitment has been slow for good reason. Obviously, second second term parachute payments—they uh, they've they, they came down. I think in the COVID season or just after the COVID season, so they lost a lot of money. So naturally, they're, they're, and there's also a lot of deadwood that needed moving on. So they they've managing to move on that deadwood, um, and I think recruitment is going to take time to to really to really get the right quality of player in. And I think Ishmael should be allowed to the opportunity should be allowed the opportunity to uh, to really developed a squad alongside Ben Manga, the, the sporting director or head of recruitment or whatever, um, to, to essentially put the uh, squad capable together, uh, capable of, of, of achieving in the long term. That is, of course, if things aren't a absolute disaster. That goes without saying. But for me, my bold prediction is Ishmael lasts a season at Watford. Good luck, Potsos. Stick with him. Big smiles. Come on.
0: Have you kept track of Watford over the last 10 years now? I, yes. It's very easy, but there's there's a point where
1: you become such a laughing stock that you there is some reflection, self reflection that maybe might have you care
0: about that, Justin?
1: (laughs) Probably they probably don't, but at the same time, I don't think I don't think fans can take it anymore. And these are all weird variables, don't really matter. I just think it's it's based on if you if you want a successful squad in the long term, commit to a bloody manager, put a recruitment team in place as they have done and allow that team to uh, recruit for that manager and have succession plans in place that aren't sort of willy-nilly, get this manager, get this manager. It's just a weird approach that I don't think it's caught up with them. So Ishmael, last season... I don't think it'll happen. No, I'm convincing myself that it will happen now.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, look, I, I completely agree with you. It it makes sense for Watford to just get a manager and stick with him. Maybe I don't know, someone like Rob Edwards would have been a good idea to stick with a manager and make him <laughs> a long term option. But don't know. I, I don't know what what happened to him. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Ishmael appointments, but I'd much prefer them sticking with Ishmael as opposed to getting him in for a few months and then sacking him. But I just don't think it will happen because Watford just don't learn. Um, and my bold prediction is I think the following managers will all get sacked or leave their jobs this season. Yondal Thomason, Nigel Pearson, Errol Bullut, Daniel Farker, David Wagner, Gareth Ainsworth, Isker Munoz, Alex Neil, Tony Mowbray and Valiant Ishmael. I've mainly done this purely for my own self-interest to see how many I get right come the end of the season. I'll be providing no further explanation.
1: That's incredible. We've listed half the
0: championship. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, you think about it, right? At the start of the season, you may be looking at it and thinking, oh, that manager seems a good fit. But then, you know, halfway through the season, and, you know, so many of them have gone already. I don't think we'll see ridiculous numbers of sackings like we did last season, because I think it was 22 I counted of managers either being sacked or leaving. I don't think we'll see that again, but there's undoubtedly going to be a lot of sackings because that's just how a championship season works.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. It was Neil Warnock in your list?
0: No, he wasn't.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm not counting the end of the season. Um, I'm well, no. During I, I, the season.
1: Just thinking now about it, obviously he's in charge of this transition season. He might not last the season because the owners might find somebody else to come in and, and, and take over. So that's a possibility. Maybe. That.
0: I'm not saying those managers... Um, are the only managers who are going to get sacked? I just think all of those, them. Those ones will, will possibly leave the same week as But yeah, let's just look back at the end of the season and see how many I get right, shall we? Um, let's finish off with a game of Scott High or Ryan Lowe, Justin. This is where I give Justin three questions and four options. All he has to do is rank them in order from highest to lowest. Take a deep breath, because it's been been a bit of an episode, hasn't it? There's been a lot going on here, a lot of predictions made. So let's just take the pressure off us for once, Justin, and uh, throw ourselves in here. I want you to rank these players on how long they've been at their current club, from longest to shortest. Barry Bannon, Liam Cooper, Matt Grimes, Matt Phillips.
1: I think this is quite cheeky, because I think a lot of those... May have moved in the same summer, so it may well come down to a matter of days. It's not, it's not. I can, I can not. tell you right now different transfer windows, all of them. Okay, interesting. So, uh, Barry Bannon, Matt Grimes, Matt Phillips, and who was the other Liam one? Liam Cooper. Liam Cooper. I think it goes Liam Cooper, Barry Bannon, Matt Phillips, Matt Grimes. <laughs>
0: You're so close. You've underestimated the length of time Matt Grimes has been at Swansea. Yeah, no, goes no, no, no. Liam Cooper joined Leeds in the summer of 2014. Matt Grimes joined Swansea in January 2015. Barry Bannon joined Wednesday in the summer of 2015. Matt Phillips has been at West Brom since the summer of 2016. So if you just didn't underestimate Grimes there, Justin, you would have been a spot on. Uh, next one is this. Rank these players on who scored the most hat-tricks at championship level. Dwight Gale Alexander Mitrovic David Nugent and Jordan Rhodes I think Nugent's last because I don't think he's got that many Hmm.
1: hat-tricks Been around for a while Yeah, Mitrovic it takes some doing to score so many hat-tricks in in a very short space of time so I I think he's going to be second to last Um, Mm -hmm. Who was the first one again? Sorry Uh, Dwight Gale I think Dwight Gale's top, but he falls into the same category as Mitrovic, but he was crazy good at scoring goals. Um, And then who was second? Jordan Rhodes. Jordan Rhodes. Yeah, go on then, Jordan Rhodes. Give you some credit. We've been battering you the last few weeks. Wait, so what are you going with? I've gone with Gale, Rhodes, Mitrovic,
0: Nugent. Oh, you're so close. You're so close. Dwight Gale's top. With five, very good shout from you. Alexander Mitrovic was second with really? four. Jordan Rhodes um, third with three. And Nugent was last with two.
1: Uh, Mitrovic surprised me. I just can't remember him scoring many
0: hat-tricks. He scored a lot of braces. Maybe, he he just... did score 40-odd goals in a season, Justin. You'd have thought there'd be a few hat-tricks in there. Maybe, maybe. That's, that was a good. Well, thank you. And the final one is this. And it's all about Norway. For no <laughs> reason whatsoever, here's four Norwegians. Can you rank them on who's played the most championship games? Stefan Johansson, Josh King, Jonathan Parr, good to have mentioned, and Alexander Tete. Oh, I love Tete so much.
1: Won us 150 quid. Well, i man on, Did Soccer he? on the Uber on Soccer M, and you won his Oh, AM. yeah, played yeah, it, yeah. Well, you won us a fair bit, won't you? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to go Johansson, then Jonathan Parr, then Tete, then Josh King.
0: I feel like the Soccer AM thing is completely out of context. Me and Justin were on Soccer AM many years ago and we had to guess the nationalities of players and we got full marks. Um, I'll, I'll search that clip out somewhere and uh, maybe tweet it if I remember. Um, so you went Johansson... Uh, actually, no, I'm going to go Parr,
1: Johansson, Tete, and pa, uh, King.
0: Ah, oh, Justin, you've, you're have you so close once again. You've completely overestimated how many games Jonathan Parr played at championship level. Stephanie Johansson was topped by Miles, 211 games. Alexander Tete, 143 games. Jonathan Parr, 117 games. Josh King, 100 games. I thought you might put King a bit higher because he had quite a few loan spells, didn't he? But he was really crap until,
1: he just suddenly switched it on in the Premier League.
0: Yeah, he was really he, he poor was in the champ. Very strange. He's like the opposite of Dwight Gale, where he was really bang average Championship level, but really good in the Premier League.
1: Yeah, really odd one. I'm surprised at Tete. I thought he'd have played more games in the Premier League. Mm. And, and Jonathan Paul was at Palace and Ipswich for a while. So yeah, that's good
0: player. He was, he was, he was. Really good left back. Uh, he is, As far as, you know, Coca-Cola Championship era players go, Jonathan Parr is probably one of my favourites because he was a fantastic left back. Proper beach blonde hair as well. Proper no- Did help. Proper, like, Norwegian-looking
1: player. Incredible, <laughs> incredible. Uh, he, he just main. stood out, didn't he? I...
0: I we love Jonathan Parr. Um, but there we go, Justin. No luck for you on on Scott High or Ryan Lowe this week. Hopefully, your predictions fare a lot better. So, these have been our pre season predictions. And you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for our League Table Predictions. So, as always, you'll be getting them in three episodes so we can properly explain each team's position. On Sunday, we'll be revealing our bottom eight, 24th to 17th. On Tuesday, it's 16th to 9th. And then on Thursday, it's our top eight. Who do we think is going down? Who do we think is going up? Who do we think is finishing in the top six this season You don't want to miss it, ladies and gentlemen. All will be revealed in the coming weeks. So if you haven't already, there isn't a better time to subscribe to us on your podcast apps so you can stay up to date as to when each episode comes out. And we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a huge thank you for listening.